There was no sound for the video this morning, so sorry to be like, hey, it's time to start. But hey, it's time to start. So let's stand as we open and worship this morning. to extend a welcome to you if you're a visitor with us. My name is Matthew, and uh, there should be a card right in front of you. I don't see any visitors, but maybe I just don't see you. I uh, would like to invite you to fill that card out and drop that in the offering plate uh, this morning. And as you're, as you're offering to us, allow us to reach out to you, pray for you, see if there's anything we can do for you. I would greatly appreciate that opportunity. So, real quick, a few announcements, things going on after our time in here, we'll have a very brief business meeting uh, after, after service, and so if you're a member, hang on, hang around, just be a few minutes to look at uh, the last quarter budget and all those things, so be brief, quick, uh, with that information right after service this morning. And this evening, we're going to gather back up here at 5 o'clock in the gym uh, for preparation for our Lighthouses outreach at the end of the month, so Halloween Day. Uh, as we are sending people out to a few homes in the 
in our community uh, to reach out to people who are coming trick-or-treating, be able to share some food and games and hopefully the gospel with them. Uh, we're going to have a time this evening at 5 p.m. to prepare for that, uh, to pack candy bags and to pray and to just prepare ourselves for, uh, for that outreach in a few weeks. All right, so 5 o'clock over in the gym. Uh, also, there are a few opportunities coming up because it's October and Christmas is coming soon. Uh, there are several things, some we do each year, but uh, some also some other opportunities uh, in order to support some ministries, one being the uh, Foster Together closet here. They uh, will distribute gifts and there's a place for donations there uh, with uh, foster and adoptive families. Also, Operation Christmas Child, there are shoeboxes right in the back. There's a pyramid in the back of shoeboxes uh, to put items in there that then get distributed across the world uh, to children uh, in various parts of the world in order to reach out to them and share Christ with them through, through those boxes. And so if you want to do that, grab one of those boxes on your way out uh, this morning. And also there's a, I believe on the back table, there is a uh, Baptist Global Relief is a arm of the Southern Baptist Convention that seeks to provide and meet needs of people across the globe, and there's an opportunity to give uh, for, for that end, uh, to purchase a goat for a community or for a family or uh, other, other meet needs there uh, through that. And so that's another opportunity uh, this time of year around Christmas. All right, so we've been memorizing Scripture. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5 is, uh, are our verses that we've looked at, and this is called, y'all remember what this is called? The Shema, there we go. So the Shema. So let's recite it, and we'll talk about it real quick. So, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God, with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all your might. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. So, take this with you. Memorize this. This scripture is to be memorized, chiseled on our souls, that it would be with us. And so, as this, this scripture says that the Lord, our God, our Lord, He is one, and that you shall. It's a command. It's imperative. You shall Love the Lord your God. It's incredible. He is the Lord. He has created all things, and yet he tells us to love him. That his command is obedience. It could be coerced, yet he desires for us to come to him, to love him. God is lovely. God is glorious. He is an absolute authority, yes, but he also is to be beheld in love for the goodness of who he is the greatness of who he is, the beauty of what he has made comes from him, the beautiful, glorious Lord that he is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. God, I thank you that you are lovely. You are the Lord over all. You've created all and you sustain all and you have given us life. Our days are in your hands. Our hairs are numbered by you. Thank you, God, for your imminent compassion and grace and kindness. You have met our needs. You continue to 
in so many ways that we are not able to anticipate, in so many ways that we really don't perceive. You take care of us, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. God, may we see you as you are. May we see you as the alluring, kind God that you are, that in the face of our sin and our rebellion, in the face of our hardness of heart, that you, that you bestow grace, that you are patient, you are kind. Lord, may we see your abundant and great, limitless love for your people, and that draw us to a place of realization that you are utterly lovely. You are utterly to be desired by us. And God, may, may that impact us. May, Lord, we learn to love you with all our heart, all our soul, and all our might, God. May we be a people, Lord, that loves you with all we are. That our loves for the world, for sin, for things of the flesh, for other things around us would slowly, Lord, pale and, and, and diminish in view of our love for you. So, God, would you be, Lord, with with the things coming up, the things we've talked about, the different ministries and opportunities, outreaches that God, that your people, Lord, that we, Lord, would go with a fervor and a love for you and a love for the lost, a love for others, that they would come to know you through these efforts. These would not just be benevolent good things to do, but Lord, out of a heart that loves you and that loves others, that they would see you and come to know you, that that would be what we're doing. That would be where we're coming from, Lord. And so, Father, would you help us? Would you direct us now in this time that, Lord, we would see you in your word, that, God, we would hear from you and you would continue to conform us to your image and conform our lives, Lord, to be like you, to desire what you desire, to love what you love, and to live for what you would have us to live for. And so, Father, would you help us? God, would you be with ESL? That, that begins tomorrow, that, Lord, you would bring the people who need to be there, that, God, you would prepare uh, the, the church that will be serving and teaching, that, God, you would build relationships and that, Lord, you would be seen, the gospel would be known, and that lives would be changed. So, Father, we ask your blessing, we ask you to be with us, and we ask for your help this morning. We thank you and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church family, one more quick announcement. Um, we are currently gauging interest for choir. Um, so if you are interested in choir and you did not fill out the uh, survey that was sent via email, there's going to be a sign-up in the back that you can uh, sign up on. Uh, and again, this is just strictly an interest uh, if you're interested in it. So this, this isn't a guarantee. An interest gauge. So, all right, let's stand as we continue in worship. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more stronger than darkness. It's new every morning. Love. 
love could remember the wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, He counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. In our sins they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, it's new every morn. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. would wait as we constantly roam. What Father so tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. In our sins they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy
Complete. 
Jesus, all the glory evermore to Him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. When the race is complete, Still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yet not I, but Lord through you in me. Father, thank you. Lord, that you saw fit to sacrifice yourself so that we might be made right with you, so that we might be able to glorify you in all that we do. God, I pray that that's what we do, whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, Father, that we can do it to your glory. And Lord, that we can truly say when this race is complete, when we have run the race with endurance, and we stand before you on your throne, we can say that it was you in us. Lord, that we can understand that the only good that comes from us is you. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for the sacrifice. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for repentance. Lord, all of these gifts that are from you and you alone. Father, thank you. God, I pray that as Pastor Stephen Webb comes and brings this word, God, that you will give us ears to hear, but more importantly, God, hearts to understand that we can leave this building and be your church as we go and love our neighbor, as we go and love our community. So, Father, help us to love well our neighbor. Help us to love well those around us. And in doing so, help us to love you well. So, Father, it is only if we love you that we'll be able to love them. So, Lord, thank you for this time. We love you and we praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, and thank you for having me back. And I was here just a little over a month ago, and we talked about the, the holiness of God and, and uh, through Isaiah chapter 6. And this morning, um, if you have your Bibles, and I, I hope you do, I'd ask you to turn to uh, the letter of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. 
And I've titled this message this morning to run the race. Run the race. And as we, as you're turning there, there's, there's something interesting I read this morning as sometimes I just kind of peruse Facebook as I'm waking up. Not always wise, but this morning it was. Um, but I love church history. Church history is something that uh, stands to serve as a reminder to us all how men and women have endured uh, over the centuries, over the millennia since Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension. And it just happens to be that on this day in 1555, Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer were burned at the stake for preaching the justification by faith alone. And Latimer said, be of good cheer, Master Ridley, play the man. We shall this day light a candle in England that, by God's grace, that shall never be put out. And you have to understand that this was in the midst of the Protestant Reformation, in the midst of a time when the church was, in essence, reforming itself. And doctrines like justification by faith alone were key doctrines for the church, Because when we understand justification, we're not justified by our works. We're not justified by the good things we do, but rather we are justified by the finished work of Jesus Christ, raised from the dead. The scripture teaches that he was raised for your justification. And so we fight for these doctrines. We we love these doctrinal truths and we preach them. And it ties in with really what we'll be talking about this morning in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, that we want to run the race that God has set before us in such a way that we'd give him honor and give him glory. If you were there, let's read these verses, just three this morning, but it says, uh, chapter 12 and verse 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as we come before you this morning and we consider these verses, I pray that our hearts would be enlightened and encouraged and that we would run this race that you have set before us and run it to the end and to run it with all of our might, looking to your son, looking to Jesus, who is the the author and the perfecter of our faith. Father, this morning be with us as we look into your word. We pray that you would have it fall upon fertile ground and that it would take root and produce much fruit in this church. Father, we thank you for our time again this morning and we pray and ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. The Bible uses what we would consider figures of speech throughout the scripture. And we would say effective teaching uses figures of speech. 
And as we find these in the Bible, we see also that in the New Testament, the Christian life is, is repeatedly compared to everyday things, everyday events or practices. Several times, for example, the Christian, Christian living is, is referred to or compared with warfare. Paul counsels us to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ and to put on the full armor of God as we see in 2 Timothy 2, 3 and Ephesians 6, 11. Paul also uses boxing as a comparison. He says, I box in such a way as not just beating the air in 1 Corinthians 9, 26. The Christian is also spoken of as, as a slave of Jesus Christ. He, Paul refers to himself as a slave or a bondservant of Christ, and in several of his letters, he introduces himself, first of all, as a bondservant, or that Greek word doulos. Jesus spoke of his followers, right, as light and salt in the world in Matthew 5. Peter refers to Christians as, as babes and living stones. Paul was fond of the figure of speech known as a race. He uses such phrases as run the race in 1 Corinthians 9.24, running well in Galatians 5.7, and to run in vain. And today we will be examining the figure used by the writer in Hebrews. And in these verses, we'll see various aspects of the race as they are compared to a faithful life in Christ Jesus. But before we dive in, one of the most important virtues in the Christian life is endurance. Amen? We would look at Ridley and Latimer, that they endured to the end. They endured persecution. They endured beatings. They endured even being burned at the stake. But I have to ask you this morning, what is endurance? Some of you in this room, maybe you like to run. And I commend you for that. But I guarantee you, you will not see me out running unless someone is chasing me. But some of you like to run, and running requires endurance. If you're going to compete in a race, what, is, what do you need? You need endurance, and that takes practice. That takes something that you daily work towards. You work towards endurance. But what is endurance? Endurance is staying power. It's the power to withstand hardship or stress. It's the ability to endure something that is unpleasant and prolonged, just like running, right? I don't find pleasure in that, but if I want to do it, I played soccer in high school, maybe not can tell now, but when I played, I had to run. And when we were running in the game and we were competing, your legs would get heavy and they would feel like you had lead weights strapped to them. And you had to press through and you had to go to the next play and, and continue on for the sake of competition. But endurance is, is being able to endure something that is unpleasant, to, to stay with it. That old saying my grandfather used to say, the stick to of something. Stick with it. And this is precisely what the author of Hebrews is saying to early believers who were suffering hardship for their faith. Many in this day are suffering persecution. Many are suffering from 
difficulty and conflicts in their lives. Many have been ostracized by their friends and and been put out by their families. Many have suffered loss of businesses or even employment. Some are in danger of just giving up on the Lord and walking away from a faithful pursuit of Christ. And as you look throughout Hebrews, and you look at the letter of Hebrews, this is all about Christ. It's all about Christ being superior to the angels, being superior to the prophets, being superior to the law, being a superior covenant, being a superior sacrifice, all about Jesus. And when he gets to the end, he's pressing the people to endure. There is something worth it at the end. Amen? Christ is at the end. When we get to heaven, the greatest thing about heaven will not be all of these things we pictured in our mind, all of these things we hear at funerals. Oh, it's a great golf course in the sky. He'll be fishing and hunting bucks and catching, you know, whatever in heaven. No, the greatest thing about heaven is Jesus, the Son of God, the sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords. When we see him face to face, everything else in this life And everything else we cared about will fade away because he is superior in all things. And so the author of Hebrews writes these letters, these words, to instill a deeper resolve in those believers and in us today. And it is passages like these that serve as as oxygen to our spiritual lungs. And this important passage gives us encouragement. It inspires us to live our Christian life with endurance and to also be an example of faith. And so the first three verses in chapter 12 give us three exhortations to encourage us to run the race, to run this race with endurance. And the first point this morning is that we must be equipped for the race. And a little sub-point here, we must recognize those who went before us. Whenever we see a therefore in the text, we always have to ask the question, what's it there for? Why is the therefore, what's it there for? And we points back to chapter 11, which we would understand to be the hall of faith, as the writer of Hebrews is giving us great examples of those who have gone before us, great examples of those who served well, and though they did not receive what was promised, they continued in their race and they ran. And he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, there's a cloud of witnesses around us today. Those who have gone before us, those who have served well, someone who led you to the Lord, someone who shared the gospel with you, someone who discipled you, a pastor, a friend, a parent, a grandparent, somebody had a part to play in either praying for or directly witnessing to you so that you are sitting here this morning. Now, in the state of Alabama, we have at, on Sanford University's campus, there's Beeson School of Divinity. And I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to go into that chapel, but it is one of the most beautiful chapels 
I've ever been in in my life. And as you're standing in the center, like in the, the very center where the pulpit would be, and you look straight up, there's artwork around this dome. And it's got Spurgeon and Edwards and Luther and Calvin and all of these church fathers as a cloud of witnesses surrounding you as you are, you are preaching. It's just a beautiful reminder of those who have gone before us. And I encourage you, if you're ever in Birmingham and you can take a tour of that chapel, it is, it is it's, it's, it's beautiful. I had the opportunity to attend a graduation there a few years ago, and I was just taken aback with just the beauty and the design and, and all, that, all the imagery that was put in. But in verse 1, we see the writer reaches back into Hebrews 11, as we would call God's hall of fame or the heroes of the faith who persevered and endured. These mentioned are Old Testament believers who have already finished their race. They are now observing us, excuse me, they are, they are not observing us, but they are bearing witness to us by the example of their lives. And we can, we can look at Old Testament examples and draw encouragement from them as we run a race. We can see the failures of David. We can see the successes of Solomon and also his failures. We can see how these ran their race and endured to the end. But we recognize those who went before us is also we must remove all weights. He says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. As we run this race, we all have encumbrances that are slowing us down. And in reality, we, we have to let them go. We must let them go. When the writer of Hebrews says, lay aside, he is, he is telling us to strip down, to put off, to, to put aside every weight. In ancient Greece, athletes would compete in the nude in order to have every advantage in competition. They would strip off every ounce of clothing so that they could be the fastest or jump the furthest. Today we have athletic performance wear that will keep us covered but, but not slow us down. We can say amen to that, right? The writer of Hebrews is, is saying that Weight is like excess baggage. It's lawful, but it's not helpful. It's not necessarily evil, but it's, it's not helpful for you to have. It's whatever slows you down in running your race. Just imagine for a moment, if, if there was a race, and one of the lovely Azalea Trail maids showed up in their dress and their umbrella and their hats, and they're going to run this race. Would that, would that seem wise? No, that's not going to help her get down the road any faster. In, in essence, it's going it's to hinder her. It's going to slow her down. The wind resistance and everything is going to keep her from running as efficiently as she can. Also, imagine if, if we're dressed 
in our Sunday best, and we're wearing a three-piece suit. I've got my dress shoes on, pants that really aren't that comfortable. And I was like, all right, Stephen, it's time to, let's race. I was like, I'm not equipped for this. I'm going to have to take off just enough so that I'm not inappropriate so that I can run this race. The same is true here. If you're not wearing the proper attire, you're not going to win. You're not going to endure. You must, in essence, strip down and run as light as possible. And in essence, he's saying here, less is more. But I ask you a question this morning by way of application. What is slowing you down in pursuing holiness and serving God? What activity, what hobby, what pursuit is slowing you down? Is it too much television? Is it college football? Is it NFL football today? Is it fishing? Time at the ballpark? Among some of the guys I work with, is it fantasy football, video games, etc.? The list can go on and on and on. Some of these, though they're not evil, they're just not helpful. And we have to decide what is slowing us down. And some of the most difficult decisions in life are not between good and evil, but between what is good and what is worthless. Amen? What is good, better, best? You have to decide how to best allocate your time because your time is limited. How you run the race, how you live your life matters and how you spend your time is critical. And so, church, today, I ask you, what's slowing you down? You've got to put that aside. You're going to have to let it go. You're going to have to strip down as, with as less as possible so that you can compete in this race. And as the Western church, and as we look at our lives compared to other parts of the world, we have excess upon excess upon excess. We have more and more and more that we are trying to fill our lives with. I miss the days when, as a kid... I'd run down the street, knock on a neighbor's door. What are you doing? Nothing. Yes. Let's come outside and let's play. Let's go do something. Nowadays, it's like activity after activity. I kid you not. I think I told Wyatt this. I have not, the only night I spent at home this past week was Friday night. That's it. Monday, we had football. Tuesday, we had, oh goodness, I can't even remember now. I just know I wasn't home. Wednesday, uh, we had church. Thursday, we had the fostering you know, hope celebration. Friday, it was only night home. Saturday, I had to work the South Alabama football game because I, I work at South, and I'm part of that crew that helps out. And so that's, that's on me. And a lot of that were, were was it evil? No, it was... It was perfectly lawful, it was perfectly fine, but I like being home. I like resting. And so for us, we have to decide what is, what is good, what is better, and what is best. C point here, we must remove all entanglements. He also lists this, and sin which clings so closely. Now what's worse than a weight 
or an encumbrance is an entanglement. It's like being, it's not just being slowed down, it's being tripped up. And in contrast with Hebrews 11, it's, it's really a failure to have faith in the Lord. This entanglement or this which the sin that clings so closely is, is likely unbelief, self-reliance. It's looking to self rather than looking to God. Looking at circumstances and difficulties rather than looking to the Lord for help. Faith is, is being, a life that is centered on faith is to be God-centered, not self-centered. Faith is trusting in God, not just trusting in yourself. It's looking to God for direction, not for the world's guidance. It's finding joy in following, obeying, and serving the Lord. And he uses this phrase, it clings so closely. It means easily ensnaring, obstructing, or constricting. It's almost like sin is going to trip you up and it's going to take you down and it's going to put you flat on your face. It's, it's like a runner trying to run with handcuffs and shackles. It's something that clings tightly. And any sin, anything that is going to trip you up needs to be done away with. Now this type of entanglement or this type of sin that clings so closely takes different forms. It could be prayerlessness. It could be elevating your reason above God's reason. It could be disobedience to the commands of scriptures, Scripture. Failure to follow God's counsel. And these issues have to be dealt with through confession and repentance before you can even think about moving forward. I have several men that, that, I, that I disciple on a weekly basis. And I meet with them, we text, we call, we talk, and, and we ask each other the hard questions. And they'll ask me hard questions. They asked me some this week, and I was honest. And I said, you know, I've, I've failed in these areas, and I outlined them. And I was like, this is where I need to repent. Here's where I need to confess my sins. And, and there's times where I'll ask them hard questions. And as I was thinking through these passages and, and looking through them, you know, Friday afternoon, I was talking with a buddy of mine. I was like, man, what, what is it that slows us down? What is it that in, in your life, just, just, give me, just give me something. And he was talking about a relationship that he had with with a buddy of his at work that just wasn't profitable. And, and at times, we have to understand that sometimes following Christ means that we have to cut off relationships. Sometimes we have to even cut off our family because they are too much a distraction for what he has called us to in gospel ministry. Those are hard things. Those are hard things to do. But Jesus tells us even harder things. You know, if you love your mother and your brother and your father and your sister more than you love me, you cannot be one of my disciples. 
that cuts to the core because family is the most important thing we hold on to in our worldly lives. Those are the people that we can call on and rely on. But Jesus is calling for us to be supremely devoted to him. And so everything has to be stripped away. Entanglements have to come off. Things that cling too closely have to be removed. Because with those things attached to us, we cannot run the race that he has called us to. The fourth subpoint here that we must endure the race. And then he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Lay aside the weights, remove the entanglements, and run. Take off. Run with freedom. Run with just utter abandonment, like going headlong into what God has called me to. And so after two negatives that the writer of Hebrews gives us, two things, two negatives that need to be laid aside, we now have a positive exhortation. And when he says, let us, the writer of Hebrews is urging and pleading with us and with his audience to run with endurance. And this verb says that it's present tense, meaning to be constantly moving towards a goal, not diverting to the right or to the left, not slowing down, but in constant motion, moving toward a goal. We are not to slow down because others are slowing down. We are not to drop out because others are dropping out. Rather, we are to be running ahead, pressing forward, making our way to the finish line. And that phrase, with endurance, means to be constant, to be steadfast, to be patient. Also means to bear up under great pressure, to stop and to have great resistance to give in. Now, some of you this morning are in a race, maybe a different type of race. Maybe you're looking towards graduation. Maybe you're looking towards retirement. Maybe you're, you're looking towards a myriad of other things. Parents, you might be looking towards oh, one more out of the house, right? Like, like there, is, there is a race that you're in. There's something that you are pressing toward and you are desiring. Nothing wrong with that. But this is what the writer of Hebrews is, is telling us is to do this, we must have endurance. Seminary was not easy for me. I took languages. Uh, they were very challenging. I took a lot of patience, took a lot of endurance, late nights, scratching my head, a lot of prayer, support from professors and friends. I needed help. And I had to endure the vocabulary exams. I had to endure the exegetical exams. I had to, I, I had to endure these things. Why? Because I desired to finish a desire to press on in ministry and, and pr- pursue what God had called me to. The same is true in any profession, any sort of advancement. You have to endure. You have to endure hard things. 
And so this morning, I ask you, are you, are you running the race that is set before you? Some people think you have to go on the mission field or plant a church to run God's race. But that's not necessarily true. God's race is right where you presently are. As a mom, as a father, as a student, as an employee, as an employer, whatever whatever position you are in, that is the race that God has set before you. It is in your family. It's at your job. It's in your neighborhood. It's at your school. It's here at Faith Family Fellowship, right? And so as we live in a world of of failure and disappointment, and and we live in a world of challenges and difficult, where are we to look for this encouragement to endure? Where and to whom are you looking? But this is critically important. Second main heading here, we must look to our example of faith. We must look to our example of faith. I always say, how and to who? Looking to Jesus. We are called to fix our gaze on Christ. We are called to look to him. We may at times glance at the cloud of witnesses around us, but we must set our gaze upon Christ. And as we are looking to Christ, that means that we are looking away from other things. As we are looking to Christ, we are looking away from the things that entangle us. We are looking away from the things that weigh us down. I love this old hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Right? And as, he drove, as, as, as we look in his face, all of these things, what, they grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Right? That's, that's the mindset that we have, need to have as believers is that as we look to Christ, everything else fades away because as we look to Christ, as we look to Jesus, he is our singular object of faith. There's nothing else that we look to in our lives, in our Christian lives, other than Christ. He is our example for us. In Hebrews 2.10, Jesus is called the author of our salvation. And here, in chapter 12, he is called the founder of our faith. He is the author, the pioneer. He is the source of of all faith. That's who we are to look to. We look to him for guidance. We look to him as our example. We ask, why? Because he's the founder. He's the perfecter of faith, and he has also secured our salvation. I love this. As we look, he says, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross despising the shame 
and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And I love, I love this, this mindset, who for the joy set before him. You have, to, you have to pause for a moment when you're thinking about those words. As the writer of Hebrews is setting us up, For the joy that was set before him, he did what? He endured the cross. He despised the shame. And I and I I pause for a minute when I'm studying this and reading it. Like, how, how can you have joy knowing that you're about to be executed? Like, that's, that's otherworldly. Like, that is not in my flesh. My body does not want to endure that. But as you look at faithful men throughout the Scripture, faithful women throughout church history, there are many who found joy and peace as their lives were ended for their faith in Christ, as they became martyrs for Christ. But Jesus, he is the one who has secured our salvation. He set the example for us in endurance. Only what was at the end of the race could have motivated Jesus to leave the perfection of heaven and to endure a world that is just sin-infested. During the agony of his race on earth, he looked ahead. He set his face towards Jerusalem. He knew what the outcome would be. And it would not be his death, but it would be eternal life for all who would believe. Amen? That's the hope that he had because it was guaranteed for him. He knew he's the author and perfecter of our faith. We, on the other hand, we are, we are looking in faith and hoping, Lord, I believe this to be true. I'm holding fast to these truths. But Jesus, he was confident. It says that he endured the cross. It shows us that he ran with endurance while he suffered ridicule, Scorn, he suffered blasphemy, torture, and crucifixion by his enemies. I remember as a young believer thinking, you know, why? Why would God do that to his son? And then as I matured and I began to read other portion of scripture and I was like oh he did that for me he did that for you for it pleased God to crush him as we read in Isaiah 53 because he was going to be the propitiation for our sins he was going to be the wrath bearer for my sin and for your sin he endured the cross for us as Martin Luther said, those are, the, those are the two greatest words in all of Scripture for us because we couldn't do it on our own. We couldn't earn enough merit. We couldn't sacrifice enough. There's not enough good we could do to merit God's love, but God, because of his Son, 
and the perfect sacrifice that was offered on our behalf. We're saved by works, they're just not our own. We're saved by the perfect, active, and passive obedience of Christ. And because of that, we can now be made right with God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's the great exchange. We give Jesus the worst of us, and in return, Jesus gives his best to us. So that when God now looks at us, he no longer sees Stephen, he no longer sees you in your sin, but he sees his son because you were clothed in his righteousness, in his goodness. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. And right now he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What does that mean? What does it mean that he sat down? One, it means that he's finished. Amen? He's done. There's no other work that needs to be done. What he is doing now at this very moment is he is seated at the right hand of his Father making intercession for you and me. He is praying for us. He is pleading for us. He's saying that that one there, I paid for his sin. I paid for her sin. He is interceding for us. In the same way, the Spirit is taking our, ser- our prayers, which are so imperfect, and He is ushering them before the throne, perfecting them for us, because we don't even know how to pray as we ought. God is at work in us. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, showing that He is victorious over sin and triumphant over death. Philippians 2.9 is great, great, great verse for memorization. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The third main heading here. We must not lose our enthusiasm. We must not lose our enthusiasm. Now, somebody shared this with me a few years ago, and, and, and I used to, used to think, you know, somebody who's enthusiastic, right? You think of them as being very kind of pumped up, excited, right? They're enthused. But when you break down that word, you know what it means, it's, it's two Greek words. It's in theos. It means to be in God. To be enthusiastic means to be in God. Those are the two Greek words that are used in enthusiastic. And I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. That'll preach. But we must not lose our enthusiasm. We must not lose our mindset that we are in Christ, that we are in God. Paul uses that term in Christ over 126 times. So it's important, right? If he repeats it that many times to say that you are in Christ, positionally in Christ, positionally in God, that is critical for us to understand. And so this morning, we, we have to consider for a moment what that means. And in verse 3, it says, consider him. Consider who? Consider Christ. 
Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. 2 Timothy, I believe it's chapter 3, it says, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You will face persecution if you live a life that is countercultural to this world, if you live for Christ. That's a guarantee. But the hope we have that if, if they persecuted Jesus, how much more then are they going to persecute me? And this is why we must look to Jesus. We must look to him because difficulties and challenges are going to come. He endured hostility. We look to him when we are engaged in hostility against us. The word consider here means to think upon or to take account of. To think very carefully about and analyze how Jesus endured and and persevered under hostility from sinners. We must consider Christ because he is our ultimate example in every area of life for us as believers. He suffered hostility every step of the way from his birth into his death. King Herod wanted to put him to death. The Jews eventually cried out, crucify him, to where Pilate was, in essence, forced to have to appease the people so that there's not a violent uprising in Jerusalem. Jesus was oppressed. He was threatened. He was blasphemed. He was conspired against. He was slandered. He was arrested, tried, and crucified, and For some parts of the world, those things are still happening. I was reading a few months ago a report in uh, about the church in Iran, and somewhere they had had said that over there's over fifty five thousand house churches in in Iran, And, and I was like, that's that's quite a few. But you have to understand a house church could comprise of anywhere to, you know, three to six people. And what's happening is that the church is growing under persecution. That, that as Tertullian said, you know, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The more you try to stamp it out, the more you try to persecute it, the more it's going to grow. The church is like kudzu, Right? The more you try to kill it, the more it's going to come back with all its vengeance. The church will endure. And we are called to endurance. And this is the encouragement. So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The purpose for us considering Christ, the purpose of us looking to Jesus, is so that we would endure that we would not grow weary or faint-hearted. We have, the tens- we have the tendency towards being fearful. We have the, the tendency where we become weary and tired to the point we just want to give up. We want to throw in the towel. Kind of done with this. 
want to move on to something else. And I see this sometimes in, in uh, you know, my children. Sometimes I see this in some people I work with. And because things aren't necessarily going their way, they just want to just give up. One of the saddest realities that, that I see on a daily basis or sometimes just a weekly basis is another minister that has stepped out of the ministry for one reason or another. Um, and, and I would be lying to you if I haven't thought about stepping away before because it's hard. Ministry is difficult. Ministry has its unique challenges. Ministry is, is, uh, can be at times burdensome. But when we take to heart what the Scripture gives us and we look to Jesus, we look to the great shepherd, we look to the one who has endured and who has persevered and has come through the other end for us, I have no reason to quit. We have no reason to throw in the towel. Because if we hold these truths in the scripture to be concrete, resolute, guess what? We win. In reality, we've already won. We're not fighting for victory. We are fighting from victory. Amen? And so we have to stop living this defeatist mindset. We are to live in such a way with a confidence that you know what, when I preach the gospel, it's not, my, it's not how well I articulated, not how well I drew out this diagram, not how well I communicated the truth of the gospel. That doesn't matter. Guess what matters? Are you faithful to do it? Because it's not about you. God will save his people. I love the imagery, right? The gospel's like throwing seed, right? We're broadcasting it. Sharing it, broadcasting it. And guess who causes the growth? Well, Paul gives us this illustration. He says, you know, for for I planted, Apollos watered, but guess who caused the increase? God did. God caused the growth. And if any of you have ever gardened before, you put that seed in the ground, you water it, you stand back. Who caused that thing to germinate and to grow? You just put it in the right environment. You did your part. Now God has to do his. One of my mentors and friends who passed away this, earlier this year, Brother Ed Lacey, he used to say, in salvation, you know what? We have our part on this side, and God has his part over here, and we're not to be over here. We're not to emotionalize the, the gospel call. We're not to try to deceive people into coming to Christ or, or being so, so persuasive that we're trying to do this over here. But we want to do our part and share the gospel and let God and the Holy Spirit do their part and save the people. Because again, that gives us confidence, right? When we understand that that is how God works, we can have confidence in knowing that when we share Christ, when we do the work of the ministry in whatever we do, whether we eat, we drink, whatever the case may be, we're doing it for the glory of God. We're doing it to see his kingdom grow. And so he says, 
We look to Jesus so that you do not grow weary or faint-hearted. I encourage you, study the life of Christ. See how he persevered. Invest time in learning more of your Savior. And as I conclude this morning, as we consider Jesus, as we consider how he endured, we are enabled by his grace to endure as he did. And as we look to Christ, we are transformed into his image. We are, we are being molded into his likeness. And I close with this verse from 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for our time in your word this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to come and to worship in song and through the teaching of your word. We ask, Lord, that you would be with us through the remainder of our day and through the remainder of this week. Lord, I, I thank you for this sweet church and pray that you would continue to uh, grow them and mature them. And I ask, Lord, that as, as their new pastor comes, I pray that, uh, that he would continue to uh, do the work um, that was started before him uh, with the goal of seeing many made mature in Christ. Father, we thank you again for our time and we pray your blessing on it. We ask all these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.